Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is The Daily Download. Today's episode features an interview with Fair Wilder, the newly appointed Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the California Association of Realtors. In this episode, Wilder speaks with HousingWire digital producer Alcina Lloyd about CAR's reasoning for creating the role and the importance of advocating for an inclusive housing industry. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Hello, Housing Wire listeners. Today, I am joined with Farrah Wilder, the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the California Association of Realtors. Thank you for joining us today, Farrah. Uh, thanks for having me, Alcina. Of course, of course. Listeners, today, Farrah will be speaking to us about her role at CAR, but first, we want to get to know her a little more, so let's start there. Farrah, you have a very interesting background. In the early 2000s, you were a civil rights attorney for the United States Department of Education. Can you tell us a bit about your role, what drew you to it, and what was the job like? I wanted to be a civil rights attorney just because, you know, I was really raised in kind of a bubble and and I was insulated from certain things. So, you know, I was a child of a dad who raised me in a way that he would have probably raised a boy, you know, so I worked with him on cars and, you know, or at least stereotypically, you know, we, we, helped him with yard maintenance. We had a garden. Um, and I grew up in a community that was predominantly black and had a, had a maybe higher rate of home ownership than what I would then see in California when I moved to California. So, um, a lot of, you know, coming into this experience as a black woman, woman of color in the world came in college. And it was then that I decided to dedicate myself to social justice issues. So at the department of education, I felt like I was really involved in some very important work on behalf of California youth and young adults. And it was it was a complaint-based organization, but you really got the sense that you were supporting families in making sure that they received equal treatment um, and access to critical information about their children in their own languages, um, and that complaints about discrimination or failure to accommodate a disabled student were responded to and properly addressed. So you really got the sense that you were helping any and everybody who felt that you know, they needed some additional support. And I lived in Oakland and saw quite a bit of California. I saw rural, urban areas, went to the Central Valley for certain things, um, learned about various communities in LA, and the ability to hear from and support students regardless of income within systems that determine so much about life outcomes just felt very important and really rewarding. And, you know, you, you can come in and support students that felt unheard or treated less than, and it was just really great. Um, and it felt really important at that time in their life. Did you feel the same way about your time with civil rights advocacy group Ruth Chance Law? 
Yeah, the organization is called Equal Rights Advocates, and they're based in San Francisco, and they have a fellowship called the Ruth Chance Law Fellow, and so I was the Ruth Chance Law Fellow. So what were some insights you gained from working there that impact what you do today at CAR? So it was there that I really got a sense of the nuances of intersectionality. So their focus is um, gender discrimination, but as it intersects with race and class primarily and, and other things. And so, you know, there was a lot of discussion around, you know, what does it mean to be a woman of color in the workplace or a woman from a working class background in the workplace? And you get the sense that the experiences um, is different, you know, if you are a woman of a particular race or an immigrant woman or um if you are someone, you know, from a middle class or or uh, a wealthy background versus someone, you know, who is more working class. So we represented women um, in uh, the women who worked out at Walmart. Um, and so a lot of women of color um, were our clients at Walmart. And so they were facing a glass ceiling. And so there were intersectionalities there. We were very involved with women in construction. Um, I did sex harassment trainings and rights trainings for programs that would allow them to get into um, the construction industry or various different industries to kind of, you know, let them know, you know, what they could, what they could do if they were experiencing discrimination or harassment on the job. And I learned a lot about um, the nuances of um, the experience of women and people of color just based on other aspects of their identity. And that was just really instructional. I also learned of the power of a collective long-term action. So one of the things that they did there was um, class action lawsuits, um, the Walmart case being one of them. And so you learn that change doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes what it is is a collective long-term action that is multifaceted, involving the media, <laughs> involving the courts, you know, all involving, you know, the political arena. And we've seen lately that, you know, some of these long-term actions are starting to, you know, really shift how our society is structured and that it's important. And it, it's not easy to engage in long-term action. You know, it's, it's, it costs money sometimes, um, you know, it involves a, a sustained focus, um, but that it's important, you know, not to just kind of jump on something when it's trendy and then, you know, kind of leave it at some point, but it, it, that it really does take a long-term focus for some of these things. All right, let's talk about your new role at the California Association of Realtors. It's worth mentioning your position is newly created. What inspired CAR to create this role and what does the job entail now? So CAR has had a, a commitment to supporting communities that have greater barriers around access to homeownership and affordability in homeownership. And it's also been a part of the discussion, especially around the last few years around the Fair Housing Act, that um, there is a persistent Black homeownership gap and that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. I mean, essentially, the Black homeownership gap has remained largely unchanged since the Fair Housing Act passed in 1968, which is unacceptable. And so this role is a part of a larger commitment of resources and other persistent issues around um, equity in the real estate industry. I can imagine as a formal civil rights attorney and civil rights advocate, you've been uniquely positioned for the role of chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at CAR. What are some of your goals or major areas of focus? So I think one of the biggest uh, things that we're going to need to do is to build systems that allow us to have a space and a place 
to continuously focus on, look at, and learn about these issues. So, for example, um, California Association of Realtors has committees, and it's a member-driven organization. So our members meet at least several times a year to kind of go over, you know, kind of policy and things they want to look at. And so one of the things that we, I believe we really need to build competency around is really focusing on discussing and learning about um, persistent fair housing issues. And I'd also like to, within that, because we're going to we're going to have to engage in some tough conversations, some conversations directly around race, around discrimination, around maybe even politics, um, because I think it's all interwoven. And so I'd like to start to explore how we do this and start um, building this muscle. And, and of course, understanding that we all have a common goal of learning and and engaging with each other respectfully. And, and also that we understand that this is a problem and we're going to examine it. We do this on so many other things. We do this with, we do this with tax a lot of times. I always go back to tax because um, that was one of the first committees that I was on as a volunteer um, on CAR's board of directors. I was on the taxation committee. And taxation sometimes can be complicated. And yet the CAR staff did a really excellent job of supporting us in understanding the topic. Then we would um, make some decisions on it or decide what we wanted to do or how we felt about certain things as volunteer leadership. And so this is what I hope to support uh, within CAR. Right. Well, fair as you know, our nation is currently addressing America's racial past and the factors that uphold today's injustices. As a Black woman myself, I have to ask you, how has our nation's social unrest impacted you both privately and professionally? Um, so and I think we have to go back to um, what's the cause of the social unrest. I think that the visual reminders, the videos, um, the stories that you keep hearing about Black people in particular um, being, you know, basically, you know, whether it's killed or shot or whatever it is, you know, by the police when they're unarmed or not doing anything in particularly life-threatening to someone else is sad, it's alarming, it's you know, I ha I've had the range of emotions like a lot of other people about those things, you know, those, and those are the things that, of course, inspire people to, you know, speak out and, um, and protest. And, and sometimes that protest results in, for whatever reasons, you know, emotions spilling over. And so watching it all and, and absorbing it and grappling with it and that reminder that these things still happen and they permeate not just our, our relationships with um, law enforcement, but, you know, they permeate other institutions, including housing. And my coping mechanism has been, you know, to figure out what can I with my skills and my capacity do? And so, you know, I started to, you know, kind of come up with ideas or participate in discussions and give feedback where I could about the real estate industry, because that's really what I knew. And so that's just been my coping mechanism um, here. And, you know, even within this position to feel like I am helping in some kind of way um, address some of the root causes of the disparities that we're seeing and that people are feeling so inspired to speak out about. Thank you for sharing that with me. I too feel the same and I feel like your role at CAR is telling of how far this conversation is actually spreading. My last question for you is, do you think the housing industry needs to further the conversation on inclusivity both within and outside of the industry? 
I do. I think it's really, really important because housing is so central to, to people's lives. I mean, the, the roof over your head, the place where you spend the majority of your time it is critical to so many outcomes. Will you be rested? Um, will you be safe? You know, will, um, will you have a place to gather? You know, you know how, how will you support your family? So I think housing is important and the housing industry impacts so many other things. And, you know, I, I think that it's, it's a big issue to address. I can't think of a simple solution. If someone knows of one, I hope they will let me know. So I see it as a mission, but it's not something that we, we can't address. And I think we have to start from the top down, you know, from CEOs to people who own brokerages. Um, I think the message needs to be that our industry is, is focused on this. This is an important issue and we're working on it. If the folks in those positions really do intend to do something about it. And I think we also need placeholders. So I feel like this position is a placeholder. I think there are committees, task forces um, that are that are designed to hold space, to meet regularly, to have a permanent place in the infrastructure of an organization, um, can really say, okay, so this is something we're not going to just stop talking about when people go home and they're not in the streets anymore and we're thinking about something else because we're going to still in six months or a year have gaps that if we don't put any effort towards or if we don't do anything about, they will continue. And I think it's also, I really want to say that I think it's really, really important to listen to and elevate the voices of people of color people from the LGBTQ community and disabled folks and other underrepresented groups, um, because they will be able to really articulate and say, you know, these are my concerns. These are the outcomes that I'd like to see happen. And also um, to make sure that folks from these groups are represented in numbers in our institutions within the housing industry. Well, Fair, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing that insightful information. I look forward to reaching out to you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I was thrilled to be here. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Daily Download. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple iTunes, and we hope you have a great weekend.